Hey there, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Matt Levine Imagination Podcast with my co-host Noah Levy, as well as Nets beat writer for The Athletic, Alex Schiffer. We discuss the NBA bubble, Spencer Dinwiddie's status, and much more. Have a great 4th of July weekend, and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and tell all your friends about the Matt Levine My Generation podcast. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. So, um, hey Alex, how are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm looking forward to the holiday weekend. How are you guys? We're doing well. Noah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Cool. Yeah. So before we kind of get into your background, uh, talk about the Nets in the bubble, I just want to ask, how has your life changed during COVID as pretty much a beat writer who's constantly traveling with the, with the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, um, it's, it's definitely been interesting. You know, the Nets were in the middle of a West Coast trip when the um, season got suspended. I had just landed in San Francisco for that game. That was the first game that was supposed to take place without fans, Nets-Warriors, when, when the news happened. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of um, radio silence for the most part from the organization until this past week. Um, it's been a lot of trying to get a hold of guys through their agents and on the side, and the, you know, the relationships you built during the season really have come in handy more now more than ever. Um, and it, you know, was tough to kind of talk to guys about certain situations just because you didn't know when, if the season was going to come back, the format it was going to look like, who was going to not going to play. And uh, it's nice that a lot of those questions are finally getting answered. So it, it's definitely been an adjustment for sure. And like you talked about how the organization has pretty much been silent. How have you kind of gone after stories? I saw that uh, you wrote a story a couple of days ago about a G League player who completed his college education at Princeton while mm-hmm. also playing basketball. So you want to talk us about you want to talk to us about those stories that you've been writing? Yeah, I, I had a lot of stuff in the bank um, when the season got suspended that I just I had planned to write either in the off season or just when I had more time to get around to it. And you know, with everything going silent, it kind of gave me the chance to knock out a lot of those projects. Um, I had written about Kobe Bryant holding a secret camp for WNBA players like a week or two before his death. I had, you know, I had known about that since before the camp happened. Never really had the time to write it. You know, I'd been kind of chipping away at it. Then, you know, the season gets suspended. I had the perfect time to really finish that off. Uh, I wrote about, you know, Eric Musselman, the Arkansas coach, had a G League team back in the day that had Jeremy Lin, Hassan Whiteside, Danny Green. It was a loaded team of future NBA players. That was a really cool story, and, by the way. And I appreciate it. It's been one of my favorites probably in, in recent months. So um, that was another thing that I'd planned to write about for a while and, and just hadn't had time to fully knock out. Um, you know, I'd run about Kevin Garnett and what his college recruitment looked like. Obviously never went to college. That was something I'd kind of been tinkering with. So I kind of just had enough ideas to keep me going until um, until I heard from the Nets again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with, with Devin Kennedy, I'd, I'd seen that um, when – he had tweeted that he had finished his degree and everything. I thought that was something to kind of keep an eye on. Um, you know, I knew the Princeton staff pretty well from being in New Jersey and they recruited my high school a bit. And I knew some of the guys that played for them. And uh, so there was a connection there. And then I also knew Devin's agent pretty well. And uh, he had texted me and said, Hey, do you want to do something on this? I thought, yeah, why not? So uh, Devin, you know, I'd, I'd expect a guy from Princeton to be really well-spoken and, and, and he backed it up. And um, yeah, we, it, it, Worked out to be a really good story. Now he's playing in the basketball tournament, the TBT starting on Sunday, I want to say. So that should be cool. Cool. And so this has pretty much been an extended off season for you. Like, how do you consider like this time period? That, that's a great question. I have no idea how to answer that. <laughs> um, you know, 
the offseason for the, the Nets is going to be very interesting between the coaching search and do they trade for a third star and Joe Harris's free agency in the draft. So I don't know. I don't know what to call this. It wasn't vacation because I was still working, but it wasn't um, it wasn't the offseason, like what the offseason storylines, like I said, would be. I have no idea what to call this. Purgatory, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> and so before we kind of talk about like the coaching search and the bubble and all that stuff, how did you get into journalism and kind of land the job at The Athletic with the Nets? Yeah, so uh, grew up in Westfield, um, went to St. Joe's Metuchen um, with our mutual friend, Alan Smith. We had mm-hmm. the same bus stop. Um, while we were at St. Joe's, you know, I had gotten big into the school paper and, you know, we, we were a basketball power for a while. We had Carl Anthony Towns, Wade Baldwin, Marcus Towns. Um, shortly after I left Ty's battle and Bree Tyrese, you know, there was a flurry of coaches coming through and a lot of attention on the school. Um, and that definitely helped me in terms of building an audience and doing stories on, on, you know, those guys and, and the team itself. Um, I knew immediately, you know, I kind of wanted to go into sports journalism. I went to Missouri because they're really well known for that. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot there my four years and internships back home here at the Star Ledger at the LA Times, the Washington Post. Um, and while I was at Missouri, um, I was the beat writer for Michael Porter Jr., who was the number one high school player in the country. Carl was the number one high school player in the country. So a lot of those coaches and the people you deal with from all that stuff, there is some overlap, which really helped. And um, so, you know, as I'm wrapping up with the Washington Post, the Kansas City Star had an opening, and uh, my relationship with the Porter family helped me get that job. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he never played, but uh, I did a lot there while in Missouri, but, you know, both on him and Drew Locke, now the Broncos quarterback. Um, you know, Missouri was, I would say, decent at football and basketball while I was there, but not great. Um, and, you know, I, I'd been networking the entire time to get an NBA beat of sorts, and that, uh, that eventually bore fruit with the Nets beat this past October. And the athletic is, I think it's probably the best sports journalism outlet currently. My dad has an, has a subscription that I kind of uh, use a lot. Uh, we appreciate it. <laughs> what has been the biggest difference in covering Missouri versus you get a huge market team, like a big market team in the Brooklyn yeah. Nets. So how has that kind of impacted how you cover them? Yeah, no, um, it, it's a good question. It's, it's interesting because I think there are some similarities between the Nets and Missouri um, in that it, it's definitely a different type of dynamic than, than typical places. Um, Missouri, even though it's, you know, in the center of the country and, and it's not really a major city, there is a, a decent media contingent because, um, you know, it's a big student journalism school. So there's a lot of student outlets that are covering the team in addition to the, the regular guys. Um but, you know, the, the two main guys on the Missouri beat, Dave Madden and Gabe DeArmond, have both been there for about 20 years. So they obviously, you know, they know everybody and they've, they've done this. Um, so I was kind of like the underdog on that beat, just like I am in, in with the Nets in that, you know, there's the New York Post, Newsday, um, ESPN keeps a close eye on them. Uh, the New York Times is in town. You know, there, there's a lot of different, you know, it's it's an interesting question just because of, you know, I, I knew who my competition was at Missouri. It was pretty black and white. Mm-hmm. But here it's different just because, as you said, you know, like um, Scoop Robinson, who hosts a podcast and a radio show, you know, he's reported some stuff on the Nets. Um, but he's not like a regular beat writer like me, but he's still very plugged in. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys like that where it's a big city and, and you might not see them around all the time, but that doesn't mean they don't have their ear to the ground and don't know what they're doing. So um, 
it's definitely a different dynamic in terms of, of who's your competition and who's regularly got a new year to the ground and who's regularly around the team and not, and, you know, what, what you would consider your regular competition versus still people to keep an eye on, I'd say. Got it. Mm-hmm. On, on top of being a big market team like the Nets are, the Nets added Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant this season. How has that affected how you cover the Nets? Yeah, it's, it's weird. Um, you know, I, I think that the Nets are kind of in a different place this year than a lot of other organizations in that they're not tanking for a draft pick and they're not expected to contend immediately. You know, they, it's like they have like a gap year almost. Like this year never really mattered for the Nets, even if Kyrie was healthy. I mean, the, the biggest thing they could have done was um, maybe Durant comes back with, with Kyrie healthy, but, you know, really just get a sense of what they have around Kyrie and who gels with them and who doesn't to kind of, you know, work toward that decision-making of how they handle it when Durant joins them. But um, it, it was a weird year in that, like, everything you're kind of writing, I mean, there's there's more of a forward-looking approach than um, than a here and now, which will be next year when, when all lies around them. It's the most important season in franchise history. So it's definitely a um, – a weird year to cover just in the first of everything that's happened from the season starting with the China stuff to Kobe and David Stern passing away to the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, Kyrie being kind of in and out of the lineup and barely playing, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but uh, I, I definitely think that it's, it's a year in which you're kind of covering it, knowing that there's not really a big um, emphasis on what happens this year and it's all about just kind of how it relates toward next year right well most teams you know the bucks the lakers the clippers that's all here and now what's going on where it's more of like looking more down the road with the nets but i'm sure with irving and duran in the locker room it's definitely made the job a little bit more interesting because you have the whole you have the whole circus with what happened with kenny atkinson mm-hmm. and then uh deandre jordan getting uh getting uh getting signed with the nets so can you say it's made the job a lot more interesting, especially you're the first year to, this is an interesting first year to cover the Nets. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, you know, it's one of those things where everything is supposed to matter about next year, but next year just looks more crazier based on everything that's <laughs> happened this year. Um, you know, no one expected, I think as the season went on, there was an idea that Kenny Atkinson could get let go, but not, you know, the, that late in the season and how it all went down. Um, so that's definitely a, um, a, you know, just something that kind of adds more fuel to the fire for next year. And, and, you know, those guys weren't around a ton just because, you know, Katie was rehabbing and Kyrie was in the lineup, but it it definitely, you know, sometimes their lack of presence was just a story too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, um, you know, there'd be games they wouldn't be there and you find out Kevin Durant was on the other side of the country at a high school game, which was a deal in December, I want to say, um, you know, it, it definitely was a different vibe. So, I mean, it, it, it's more interesting in that, like, the, sometimes the two most influential people in the locker room weren't anywhere to be seen. And um, and yet there was all this stuff just kind of bubbling that eventually came to a head, as you said, when, when Kenny Atkinson got let go. So, yeah, even though they weren't around that much or played that much, it was still just it, – it shows just how crazy next year is probably going to be based on everything that happened this year. And before we move on, did you feel that the locker room was a little bit more tense and distracting during that time? I don't know about distracting. I, I definitely think, you know, that like the DeAndre Jordan not starting thing was just something that was kind of simmering throughout the season that was going to mm-hmm. eventually come to a head. Um, you know, it, it's a weird year in that. I mean, they started off kind of slow with Kyrie and then he gets hurt. They go on a great run without him and kind of run out of gas. He comes back. 
and they get it on a little bit of a run again. Then he gets out for the season. Then as the, you know, they were four and one in their last five games um, before the pandemic suspended the season. Then they kind of started to figure things out just for this to happen. So, you know, I, I think sometimes the nature of the way the year went in general probably led to some of that stuff. But I mean, you know, there isn't a guy on the team really that that's got a problem with Kyrie, at least that's said so publicly. I mean, I think that, you know, they're, there isn't really issues like that right now that, that have been visible because they had, you know, again, it's been a weird year and there, there's been so much other stuff going on that kind of throws into it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I definitely think that um, it, it was an interesting year in the locker room just based on everything that happened as a, as a substitute. But I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, they go into next year already, you know, with a, like a time bomb per se. Got it. What do you think about DeAndre Jordan not starting? Because I, I've told Noah this too. I liked when Jared Allen was starting for the Nets. And I don't know, I feel like you have to give the young guys those opportunities. DeAndre Jordan is way past his his prime playing days. Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. And I mean, if you look at the dynamic of Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan this year, like Jared Allen started the first game, the first two games, then DeAndre Jordan started on the road. Then he went back to coming off the bench. But then around January and February, if you look during some of the real crunch time minutes of a game, the important, you know, close game in the fourth quarter kind of deal. Jared Allen was on the bench and DeAndre Jordan was the one playing in crunch time. Then DeAndre started starting again, only for the season get suspended, then him to get COVID, and now he's not mm-hmm. playing in the reboot. So it's it's been a weird year just from from that perspective, even from those two. Um, I, I definitely think Jared Allen has the higher ceiling right now, but, you know, DeAndre Jordan still proven to be useful. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this all plays out. I mean, Jared Allen's eligible for a rookie extension this summer. Do they give him that or is he traded or do they stick with both of them? And is they, are they able to coexist going forward? Um, you know, I, I think that DeAndre Jordan, I mean, Kyrie and Katie took pay cuts for him to get, you know, paid. I mean, he has a four-year deal. So it's interesting that he, he was already coming off the bench in year one. Like, what does that deal look like as it ages? Um and I don't know if you remember, but there was a report out during the trade deadline that the Rockets looked into trading for DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan mm-hmm. being from Houston, um, the Nets weren't having it. I, I would have been curious to see what the offer looked like in return. Yeah. And, I mean, again, you can't really trade him because he's friends with Kyrie and KD, and he was exactly. part of that, that trio that came to town. But I would have been interested to kind of see, you know, did they turn down a first-round pick? You know, did they turn down a package? Like, what did that look like? Um, but, you know, he's here to stay. It's going to have to work. And it'll be interesting to kind of see what they do with Jared Allen and kind of how does that affect what they do going forward. You know, do they keep him and then they kind of play both of them? Um, does one outplay the other next year? It, it's it's a conversation that's far from over. Well, yeah, and connecting this to the bubble, you have Jacques Vaughn, who has only coached two games under the Nets, mm-hmm. and he started DeAndre Jordan in both of them. What do you expect from Vaughn? in the bubble and how do you expect him to play I actually think they're going to look a lot like the Houston Rockets just because you know they've had so many withdrawals um, small ball we, 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 I think they have to you know we um before I got on with you guys we had two media interviews today with uh Timothy Luwawu Cabarro and um Karis LeVert and I kind of asked them the same question and TLC talked about it he might have to play some five I mean <laughs> Wilson Chandler's out um DeAndre rookie Nick Claxton you know, that's a large chunk of their front court. So, I mean, Jared Allen's one of their only true post players. And, um, and 
they don't really, you know, they, there's a, they're probably going to sign a replacement player for DeAndre, but we don't know who that is and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like, you know, the addition of Tyler Johnson and Justin Anderson, they're probably built more for having like a, you know, one center, four shooters on the floor. And because Jared Allen's their only real true post, they might have to go five out sometimes. So I don't know if that's necessarily Jacques' preferred style of play, but I don't know if he has a choice either just based on how the roster's currently shaped. So I, I think it's inevitable based on how heavy they are as a shooting team in general and, and the personnel that they don't look something like that just based on how this has all gone for them. Mm-hmm. And everyone has kind of like said their doubts and opinions on the bubble. What are your, what are your expectations? And are you traveling to the bubble? Uh, to answer your second question first, hell no. Um, <laughs> there is a very small media contingent. Uh, there's 10 reporters allowed in the bubble for mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, it's like being on house arrest at a Disney resort, you know, meals delivered to your room, mm-hmm. can leave the premises, et cetera. Um, and then there's like 40 to 50 that can watch the games from the stands. And, but their media availability would look like mine where it's all over Zoom. So I don't know if that's worth okay. it either. If Katie and Kyra were playing and it was like this crazy situation, I, I probably would have gone. Um, but otherwise, no, I'm not going. As for what I expect it to look like, I mean, this is unprecedented. You know, I don't have any expectations. We, the Nets beat was talking over Zoom today before the guys came on. And is this going to work? Are they going to have stoppages? I just said to them, like, we've never seen this before ever. What's the point of making a prediction before it starts? Um, because it's so unprecedented. Um, you know, I, I've said before, my whole stance has been, you know, the first time you ever do anything in life, you're probably not that good at it, whether it's playing golf, you know, your first podcast, my first story. Um, I hate to look at that again, but the same goes for a professional sports league coming out of a pandemic, right? Yeah. So I, I think if they had kept it to 16 teams, the least amount of player, you know, people as possible, and maybe tried to finish the season way or the regular season, you know, those regional cable deals are huge for teams for money. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get to 70 games, a lot of teams are right outside that number. Um, you know, if, if you were to get to 70 games with the remaining teams in the bubble, of those playoff teams instead of making it 22 and then go to the playoffs. Like I thought that would have been the ideal scenario just to keep people at an absolute minimum. Um, I'm all for the conspiracy theories that they did what they did to get Zion there and then schedule. Um, But I just think that no one's seen what this has looked like before. So what's the point of predicting? And it's going to be interesting to kind of see how, if they, how low they can keep the cases in a bubble like scenario. So mm-hmm. I think it's the best shot of all the leagues to pull, to be pulled off, but that doesn't mean, you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned if it, they got through it, you know, without too many issues, I wouldn't be stunned if it was a disaster. Yeah. So what is your job? What is your job during this time? So you're just going to cover the team virtually and how are you going to do that? Yeah. So um, we get guys from starting, Started on Wednesday, I want to say, through Sunday or Monday. Team leaves Tuesday. Um, you know, I have some ideas that can kind of be pulled up. I've got some stuff that also I was hoping I'd be able to use during the season that I think can still have some shelf life when the games resume. And, yeah, I'll be watching on TV like everyone else. There'll be a virtual press conference afterwards and get guys and write off of it like that. Um, and we'll see how far they go with the team they bring down there. Do they make a surprise run and still make the playoffs and hold the seventh seed? Do they – fall out and get passed by the Wizards and just based on personnel again who knows yeah you you talked about having a a smaller like presence in Orlando that might have helped players and a big issue is a lot of players are hesitant about coming to Orlando 
like do you do you think if it was a smaller like 16 teams that people would be more comfortable um yes and no yes because there'd be less people no because that doesn't stop the spike of cases down there i think it's twofold so i think it's a good thought but i mean you know it, you you think about the difference between 16 teams and 22 that number of people still pales in comparison to what the spike rates are down there. I feel like that's the bigger statistic of the two right now. And the other storyline that has kind of come out of the bubble is Kyrie Irving's comments about the social unrest. What do you, what do you think about his comments? And have you felt a sense that there are a lot of other players around the league who feel this way, but are still playing in Orlando? Yeah. You know, I think there's a decent mix. Um, I think that Kyrie got a bit of a raw deal on some of that because, you know, he was doing his job as an NBA PA VP mm-hmm. to address player issues and, and create a conversation about it. Um, you know, I, I think that the issues came a bit from him being one of the so-called leaders of the conversation, but him not playing in Orlando might've taken some shine off of uh, him as the, as the leader in the dialogue. Um I still think, you know, Jared Allen said that he, you know, he's hesitant about it and, and they all are, but I mean, they, there is a lot of trust in Disney and the NBA to get it right and to make it as safe as possible. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of guys are concerned, but are still going to be get, willing to give it a shot in some capacity and see where it goes. I mean, this is how they make their living. So, mm-hmm. and, and everyone wants to get paid. So I, I do think that there is concern, but I also think that this is the only hand they're dealt for the near future. Got it. And I, I want to talk about the Nets a little bit more. If nothing else, if, if they're not able to make an exciting playoff run, if they're unable to challenge Toronto or Milwaukee in the first round, what are, what are you expecting out of the young guys like Levert, Allen, and then you have Justin Anderson who recently got signed from the Long Island Nets? Yeah, I, um, I almost look at this as a gigantic audition for some of those guys in that um, – you even look at Rodion's Curix. Um, Chris Gios is going to be a restricted free agent. Um, Timothy Luau Cabrera, we touched on. He's had a good year for them. I, I kind of think of, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether or not they trade for a third star in the offseason. We'll kind of see where they kick the tires on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I almost think it's a giant audition. And, like, you know, if Karis LeVert goes off down there, does that kind of quell the talk of a third star and he's their third guy and that's that? Um, does – um does um, he play at a level that makes a team more interested in training for him further that team star player to join Katie and Kyrie? You know, I think it's, I think it's extremely twofold in that all those guys are almost like making a case to be on the team next year or to increase their trade value in the eyes of the front office. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot of freedom of play on that front. And that's why I'm really curious to see what it looks like and who plays and who doesn't, because I think everyone's got some something to gain, whether in it's trying to keep their spot on this year's team or, or kind of show for having a spot on another team, depending upon how this all shakes out. That's why I From, think you – oh, you want to go, oh, Noah? Yeah, I just wanted to ask a quick question. From what you've heard, do you think Lavert's going to be playing point guard in Orlando? He got asked that today. He thinks he will be a bit. I think that – um. You know, he looked good alongside Chris Chioza. I think the biggest elephant in the room is what happens to Spencer Dinwiddie. It's still unknown whether or not he plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both of their two-way guys, uh, Chioza and Jeremiah Martin, um, are both point guards. You know, so I'm kind of curious to see, do they get more run? They use Karras off the ball more. Um, I think he plays, to answer your question, I think he plays some point guard. I just don't know how much until we get the answer on Spencer. 
I think your, your position here is just so interesting from especially covering the Nets because I feel like there's such a traveling circus going on. There's always constant storylines. I would hate to be Karis LeVert having to go down to Orlando and like thinking about, oh, am I going to get traded if I, if I play badly? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be if he were to play badly. I just think it would make it harder for the team to, and to potentially center a package around him. Okay. But, you know, he already had, you know, with his injury history, I mean, he could already have question marks on it with, with that kind of stuff anyway. So, you know, I think a lot of guys realize that this is a business at the end of the day and, and being on a team is better than not being on any team. Um, you know, I, I think it kind of comes down to um, – how you want to look at it. I mean, like, you know, if Kenneth LeVert were to get traded, I almost, and the Nets were to still maybe acquire Bradley Beal, just for example's sake, because they've been linked to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, Karras and Beal are both the same age, around 26. You know, I, I kind of look at it as almost like, you know, Joe DiMaggio, where he was on the Yankees World Series teams with Lou Gehrig, goes to World War II and comes back and then is on them with, with Mickey Mantle. You know, making a trade like that for Bradley Beal while keeping Karis LeVert to me creates a potential for them to have two windows of comp- of competitiveness, you know, mm-hmm. with Kevin Durant and Kyrie and maybe after those guys, whatever they end up doing, you know, then build it around Karis and Bradley Beal. So I don't know if necessarily it's a bad thing of, of those guys having um, those guys playing bad or being able to stay on the team just because it, it, it comes down to how the rest of the moves around them were to shake out. Okay. And I just want to go back to your comment about it being a business. You have burdens on the Wizards who has decided to sit out because he, he doesn't want to get injured. I thought Joe Harris's comments about uh, sitting about the possibility of sitting out because he's going to be a free agent were very interesting. What, what do you think about those comments that he made? I, I think he was correct in that, um, you know, I, I liked his answer of just, you know, I don't look at it as I'm not going to take the last eight games off the season, get ready for free agency. I thought that was well said. Um, you know, I think the biggest difference between Joe and Davis Bertans that Davis Bertans is an injury history of two ACL tears, which is, mm-hmm. you know, once you get to three, I think you're really kind of pushing it. Um, so I, if Joe Harris is more of an injury history, we're probably having a different conversation. But, you know, I also think they have different skill sets also in that, you know, Joe being one of the league's best three-point shooters, I mean, he's going to have a, a market regardless, right? Yeah. You know, Davis, Davis is a pretty complete player, but I mean, compared to Joe, they, they have Teams are interested in them for different reasons, I should say. So, I um I applaud him for doing it. You know, I don't. You know, I, I thought he had good reasoning on it, but I, I also don't think that um Davis Bertans was wrong in, in taking the different stance based on his own personal situation. Hmm. So, how has your expectations kind of changed as as more news comes out about the Nets in Orlando? Like, do you want to give a prediction here? Um, I, I will, I'll hold off on giving a prediction until we see what happens with, with Spencer Dinwiddie, because he's really going to be a, a huge influence in my reasoning. But, um, it's funny, you know, the pandemic started and then you see ideas of like maybe Kyrie and KD come back and set the world on fire. And you're like, well, like that would be crazy. What would they have to do? What would that look like? Then you find out KD and Kyrie aren't playing. So it's like, all right, well, what can they do with the rest of this team? Then, you know, in recent weeks, you just start to see what, what happens. So I, um, I don't know what the answer to it is. I mean, I, I think um, I think that, you know, my expectations have just kind of slowly gone down just based on my, my reason of thinking. But, you know, they're still six and a half, six games up on the Wizards and a half game up on um, on Orlando. You know, I, I think my expectations around the time the season got suspended were going to the playoffs and see what you can do. And I, I still think the expectation for them is to make the playoffs regardless, just based on the gap between them and Washington. And, 
you know, Bradley Beal's on the fence about playing in, in Orlando too. I mean, if, if he doesn't play, I think the expectation is definitely then to still make, make the, the playoffs, playoffs and see what you can do. So, I mean, I think the only thing I can say in terms of what do I expect is I expect them to be in the playoffs. They're the, a half game between the seven and eight seeds. So, you know, that can go either way for a number of reasons, but just make the playoffs and then see what happens from there. Because there's no home court in this in this tournament, unless you count the hotels as a home court advantage. But yeah, or you count Orlando because they're in the same city they usually play in, just a few miles from the arena. Yeah, exactly. But I don't I don't really see an advantage. So do you see a world in which the Nets come out, no fans, maybe a lack of energy, and just completely challenge whether they play Toronto or Milwaukee, just challenge the teams that they're going to play? I think they could there. I mean, everyone's going to be rusty. You know, who knows who gets hurt and who doesn't. I mean, you know, Pascal Siakam's a huge part of what the Raptors do. If, if he were something were to happen to him, I mean, I, I would change my prediction. Same thing with Giannis, obviously. So I, um, I think it, I think they could definitely push teams. I would put more money on them pushing Toronto than Milwaukee, just based on Milwaukee's roster. I mean, you know, the Nets lost a lot of size and guys sitting out between Wilson Chandler, Nick Claxton and, and uh, DeAndre. Those are guys who are all six, nine and taller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after Jared Allen, I think Tim TLC is the Nets' next tallest player at six nine, depending upon who they sign with that open roster spot. So Milwaukee's got a lot of length and size, and I think that that naturally hurts them. Um, you know, we we already talked about the small ball aspect and all that. So I, I think that who they match up against and and how they um, how they handle the personnel issue is going to be a bigger deal than you know the fans and the rust because I mean every team has to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think uh, Kuruks's role is in Orlando? Can he can he fill in as one of the, the bigger guys, like a backup to Jared Allen almost? Yeah, I, I think that's a possibility. Definitely. No, I think um, I think you could see him as a small center or definitely, you know, kind of like the, the back, you know, a backup power forward. Um, defensively, I don't know how that will work, but I do think offensively, you know, he's got a very good skill set. I think he's an underrated passer and, you know, he's a good ball handler. So I think that, you know, in terms of those two, uh, skills he might be an upgrade for them at times but I, I do think that you'll he's he probably benefits the most from all these dropouts because I mean he's looked good at times during the season but he never really got into a groove where he could play enough but at the same time he he does have he does give them a different look at, in a few different places down there so I, I think that he'll be played you know leaned on a lot and they could get creative in how they use him both as, as a small four, uh, five and, and as a, a four. And the team signed uh, Tyler Johnson. Do you th- do you expect anything out of out of Tyler Johnson? Yeah, I mean he's another one where, you know, they add him. You think, well, you know, the Nets liked him a long time ago. Then Miami matched. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's another one where you know what happens if Spencer Dimity can't play? Do they look at him as maybe you know he's a combo guard that you know that depending upon how you want to use him and what you're trying to get out of him can be a. a two or, or, uh, or just, you know, at the one of the two. So I, I think he's the most interesting guy on the roster right now, just in that, are they going to mainly use him as like a three point specialist? Like he can be used. Do they look at him more as a, as a distributor and a, and a floor general to play alongside Karras. Do they maybe use him alongside Chioza and Karras to give him a really different look at guard? Um, that that's going to be really fascinating to me. Um, I, I think, I think his role is going to be very fascinating to see what happens with him. He, he, there's a lot of ways it can go for him. And Dinwiddie is technically still on the traveling party. They have, they leave July seventh. As of now, yes. Do you think he's going to travel or no? 
there's a world in which he can go down with them afterwards. You know, he's on day eight or nine of the virus he, he tweeted today. You know, you talk about a two-week quarantine. If he, you know, if he's able to kick it before I, – I think he wants to play and they want him to play. I think they're going to wait as long as they can to hold out hope of him going down there and joining them before getting another guy in his place. You said that there is a world in which he could travel down afterwards. How would that work? They would have to get a private jet or, or something like that for him and make sure, you know, he passed two negative tests. Mm-hmm. And then he would join them sometime between Monday and, you know, whenever the first game starts. Probably, there's probably – Sean Mark said that this week wasn't a hard cutoff date for him. So I imagine there is a date in their minds where if he's not ready by this day, they're going to kill it. Hmm. And I just want to talk about Jacques Vaughn for a few more minutes. And he has an interesting role in all of this because he still has the interim tag to him. Mm-hmm. Sean Marks said that despite the Nets record, he's not going to be judged off of how they perf- how, how their wins and losses. What do you expect is the end result with Jacques Vaughn? If I had to put money on it today, I think he's their full-time coach. Um, I... Uh... I think his whole situation is extremely fascinating, honestly. I mean, thrown into the fire, 2-0, then um, the season goes on hiatus. Do you get your best guys back or not? Talk during the pandemic. Then not only are they not coming back, but also Wilson Chandler and um, DeAndre Jordan and Claxton, you know, a, a large part of your, your core. And now you're left to go down there and – do what you can with, with that team. You know, even though it's not about wins and losses, that doesn't mean that he can't use those to help him. I mean, if – and these are big ifs. But, I mean, if they were to go 6-2 and two in that eight-game stretch, I mean, again, small sample size, you know, as 8-2 and two in a 10-game in a sample size. But, I mean, 8-2 and two without any of your best players in ridiculous circumstances, that's a nice selling point for him. Um, mm-hmm. If they were to go on some March Madness-like run and pull off a first-round upset, I think the job's his. Um, just based on all, all, all that's gone on, um, the players really like him. You know, he's tight with Karis and Kyrie. And, and you know, to me, the biggest um, shoot to drop during all this is if Kevin Durant were to play because if KD were to play and he would have liked Jacques Vaughn and what he did with him, I mean, that's, you know, you have the two biggest blessings between Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant. Now you don't have that, but um, again, you know, he's a former net. He is from the Spurs tree. Sean Marks has used and leaned on so deeply. He's got history with the organization as a coach and with knowledge of the roster. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's been taught by Roy Williams. You know, I, I wrote about him during the pandemic. Roy Williams, he's Greg Popovich is, is a huge fan of him. Um, he's learned from some of the best. And, and his Orlando situation, I mean, when he was the Magic coach, is just interesting. I mean, I think his record was 58 and 158. He was 100 games under 500, I remember. But, you know, I'm not absolving him of all that. But, you know, I think it was a week after he took the job, the team traded Dwight Howard. So that was, you know, a real press of the reset button. And what what could he have done with that? And what, you know, what was the goal with that to begin with? Um, that's all interesting food for thought. But I, I expect the team to play for him. I don't think they're going to check out on him. And, and – I am going to be very curious to see, as, as you said, you know, if it doesn't matter about wins and losses, and what can he visibly show um, that wins in the job? You know, if, if he if they lose a game by three, but he has a spectacular final play drawn up that just doesn't go in, you know, the X of the nose were right, but the execution just wasn't there. 
is that like a little check in his book that you know he he had the right play for that circumstance given everything, but um, but just didn't go his way. Uh, you know the rotations. You know if he if Rodion's Kurix or, or Chris Jones or some of those guys catches fire. You know what what does that all look like? I I think that that's gonna be one of the biggest things to watch during this entire thing is. All right, if the wins and losses are off the table, then what can he show to build a case for himself? Do you think that 75% of this decision is based off of what Kyrie and Kevin Durant say? Uh, well, Sean Mark said yesterday that Kevin's going to have a very big voice with them going forward and some things, so that's a, a hint. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these guys tied to the job have ties to them in Ty Lue with him and Kyrie in Cleveland. You know, Mike Brown's been a name thrown around. I mean, he's got ties to both guys. So, yeah, I think they're going to have a say, and I think you've already kind of seen that so far in some ways. I mean, look at, you know, we're in the world of player empowerment right now, and it's at its peak. I definitely think that there's going to be some, some legs there. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back uh, a little before when uh, we were talking about Dinwiddie. Say Dinwiddie doesn't go, um, and I'm a, I'm a huge Michigan fan. Like, Karis LeVert is, like, one of my favorite players in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Is, is, is Karis's role going to be – 30 plus points every game. If Dinwiddie doesn't go, how big of a role is he going to have? You know, it's, it's interesting. I asked Karis this today and, and he kind of walked away from the question a little bit, but um, <laughs> I think the, um, the second half of the Celtics game where he had 51 points Ridiculous. is going to be an interesting, um, it's not a perfect comparison by any means. I said that to him when I asked it, but it was Karis Levert and Four guys that, as we kind of touched on, you know, Chris Gioza showed something, TLC, um, Rodeons, but it was mainly give the ball to Karras and get out of the way. Um, is that going to be kind of a measuring stick that, you know, first off, that they can hang with teams that are, you know, good Eastern Conference teams despite not having a lot of those guys? And um, and is that the formula going forward? You know, Jacques Vaughn said, you know, he doesn't want to commit to a style of play till he sees who they use to fill out the roster. What happened with Spencer? Totally valid point. Um, but I, I think, I think two things, one, it's too easy of a game plan for them to use to that, to not be shut that, you know, what if they double team Karras, who's the next guy you rely on? I mean, Joe Harris or, um, or Jared Allen, maybe, I don't know what that looks like in terms of, of an offense built around Karras when you still have guys like that that are playing. But I, I definitely think that he will be the number one scoring option if Dinwiddie doesn't play. Why do you think he walked away from the question? Um, he, he didn't, you know, the way he answered just, you know, NBA guys are NBA guys. So some guys might not have gotten a shot, but, you know, I think, you know, it's an next man up mentality. Um, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to say, yeah, I'm taking 35 shots. Everyone's going to deal with it. Um, I also think that, you know, they haven't had a single practice as a team it's all individual workouts right now. So I don't really think it's a question he can answer in terms of, um, I think he could have spoken more to the, is the Celtics game um, proof that you guys can play with good teams without needing all those guys. But I definitely think the, do you need to take 25 to 30 shots? I mean, he can't really answer that because he even said himself, we haven't played with these Justin Anderson, Tyler Johnson. We don't know what those guys can do. Um, until we see them go. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think that it's, it's, he can speak to part of it, but not all of it right now. Do you have anything else to add before we wrap up? No, nah, I thought you guys did a good job. Well, Alex, thank you for uh, spending some time with us talking about the Nets and their, their big, big couple months, hopefully, hopefully they may be uh, 
get past the first round, but I'm not sure. Um, Alex, thank you. The Athletic, the work that you're doing is fantastic. Noah, do you have anything else to add? Nothing. Hey, everyone, it's Matt. I'm sorry that the last few seconds of the podcast got cut off. I just want to thank Alex Schiffer for coming on, spending some time with us. And that's it. Have a great 4th of July weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening.